from the Spectacular Donor Pavilion. It's Hearts of Fire, the podcast for the team at BioRidge Global, where we're working every day to save and enhance lives through the healing power of human cells and tissue. I'm your host, David King, and our guest today, and a special Veterans Day edition, is Dr. Bob Sylvester. Dr. Bob is our resident physician at the BBG Clinic, longtime Navy veteran. You joined the Navy, you're right out of high school, right? No fooling, like days <laughs> out of high school. Dave out of high school. And and, and so so what happened from there once you signed up? So so when I first went down to the recruiting office, or to the, it's called the MEPS, the Military Entrance Processing Station. They, uh, you know, do a physical, they have you talk to the career folks. And, and so I talked to the career folks and, uh, um, based on my test scores, they're like, you can be anything you want to be. And I said, do you know that I'm colorblind? <laughs> he said, oh, you can be one of these three things. <laughs> and, and the three things, one of them was, was functionally a welder. And um, I really didn't want to be on ship all the time. And another one was cryptology technician. This is mid-80s, and, and being a Russian linguist was, was really a big deal. And I, I was interested in that. So I asked him, okay, well, if I, if I, you know, become a Russian linguist, when do I go to boot camp and where can I go? And he said, well, you can't go until February and you have to go to Great Lakes, which is just above um, Chicago. And I said, okay, well, um, hospital corps was the third choice. And I said, if I become a hospital corpsman, when do I leave and where do I go? And he said, well, you can leave in November and you go to San Diego. And I said, I'll see you in the hospital. <laughs> Good choice. So I went to, I went to hospital core school, you know, into the medical field altogether, essentially because I, I'm allergic to cold. And uh, um, went to San Diego, got a, got a tan in November in boot camp, um, went to hospital core school there. And then uh, towards the end of hospital core school, you know, I did really well academically. And so um, they were looking for follow-on schools to send me to. And I wanted to be a I wanted to be a preventive medicine technician, um, and uh, they both basically told me that I was too immature. <laughs> There's a fair chance they were right, but not for the reason that they thought so. Um, because the guy asked me um, if he had to tell a if he had to tell a Marine Corps Colonel that his that his chow hall was messed up, how would you do it? Um, and I, I told them, and I didn't have any problem with that. Well, they thought that was immature. What I knew is that my next door neighbor growing up. Was a retired four star, so a colonel didn't really intimidate me, and they expected me to be intimidated. So I didn't go to preventive medicine school, so they sent me to aviation medicine school or aerospace medicine, um, which kind of locked me into working with squadrons in the aviation community. <laughs> I, I asked for about four months, once a week, I put in a request chat asking to drop the school, saying I didn't want to go. Um, they, denied, 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 denied. <laughs> Um, so I went and, you know, I'm a good student and I'm a hard worker. Um, so, but in that four months or so, I actually worked in the intensive care unit at the hospital in Pensacola, got great exposure to medicine. Um, and then when I went to the school, um, I met my future, um, flight surgeon, um, both of us, you know, when we finished school, got transferred to Yuma, Arizona. Um, and in Yuma, it's a Marine Corps Air Station, you know, irony, right? J.D. Yeah. Linton, yeah, sorry, I don't want to be a Marine. Um, and, uh, but we both went to Yuma, and uh, um, that was right around 
well, it was a year before the first Gulf War started. So I actually went on a deployment on a ship um, to the Western Pacific. Um, basically, he let me do anything I was willing to try and made sure I didn't get into trouble. Realized I kind of liked medicine. Um, before, all I was doing, I was doing a good job because I always do a good job. But remember, hospital core school was just to stay away from Chicago in February. Um, but did a, did a good job. And then the following year, so we got back from that deployment, um, and the first Gulf War started almost immediately. In fact, I was on vacation from having just returned when, when the Iraqis entered uh, um, entered Kuwait, and so got called back from leave, and we started getting ready to send to send uh, units over to Saudi Arabia. Um, worked really hard for those several months, and then just before getting on the airplane to, to fly to Saudi Arabia with um, one third of my squadron. I got pulled off, somebody else got sent, and then the other two thirds of my squadron got sent to Iwakuni, Japan, which is not too far from Hiroshima. Um, so I spent that year over in the Western Pacific again, this time ground-based, um, and with Dr. Nichols, um, same flight surgeon, and once again, he let me do anything I was willing to try and just made sure that I didn't get in trouble. Um, and while I was there, I remember it really well. Um, it was February 6th, early in the morning. I was out on the flight line. I was checking the, the little eyewash stations. And, uh, and very clearly, I, I felt called to become a doctor. I had never considered becoming a doctor. I was, I was doing it because I did a good job and I was a conscientious worker. But from that day forward, I, I knew I was going to be a doctor. And so I finished that deployment. And when I came back, the Navy had me teach search and rescue for several years, which was great fun. I love jumping out of helicopters and teaching people how. Um, and the medical stuff that goes with it. Um, and, you know, I had lots of great experience there. Um, but really was working um, as quickly as I could and as hard as I could to get my bachelor's degree so that I could go to medical school. Um, and I did. After that tour, I went into the reserves because I needed to go to school full-time to get the, the right science classes because I went to a small Christian college called Point Loma Nazarene, now university. It was college at the time. Um, and they only offered like one choice for a bunch of the science classes. And so I had to be available during the day. So went into the reserves, actually worked for a tank battalion for a year, which <laughs> is a crazy job when you're, you're an aviation guy. Um, and, uh, um, but I, you know, I was at that point, I was senior enough that I was just leading other people. And, um, we were getting ready to go to war with North Korea because they had tanks that were, you know, lined up in tunnels underneath the DMZ. So it was kind of a stressful year, but got married that year and uh, went to school full time and worked full time at an urgent care and life was crazy busy. Um, but then got transferred to an aviation unit. That was nice. It was actually a passenger airliner squadron and uh, finished college, got accepted to medical school and then went to Cleveland, Case Western Reserve University. Um, which is a really good school. At the time, it was um, top 10% of schools in the country. There were 111 schools, and we were ranked number 11. So <laughs> it was just barely, but we were in the top 10%. Um, went there, did great, loved it. 
Um, got to take care of patients early, which for me was kind of secondhand. I'd been doing it for at that point about 10 or 11 years. Um, and uh, the Navy was paying for me to go to school. So finished medical school and came to um, San Diego County to um, Marine Corps Base Camp Pendleton for residency and uh, got to work with Dr. Nichols again. He was, um, you know, he's been my mentor now for 30 plus years, but um, he was the uh, um, the clinic director there. And, um, and so I was a resident there in the clinic that he was in charge of, um, which that was a really good thing for me. Um, but did residency or first year. So internship, I guess there's a story in there. Um, at, towards the end of internship, um, that's the first year of residency. Um, most interns in the Navy don't go straight through residency. They do one year of training and then they go out to a, a field unit, you know, whether that be a ship or whether it be a CB battalion or whether it be a Marine Corps unit. Well, the Marine Corps was looking for um, somebody who had previously been with the Marines to go to 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, because we were getting ready to go back to Iraq. You know, this is 2003, and 1-1, uh, 1st Battalion, 1st Marines, was going to be, you know, the 1st Battalion to go ultimately to Fallujah. So I was the only physician who met those requirements, and so I pretty much planned on going. That was a crazy week, because I found that out on a Monday. It was the Monday right before um, Easter. On Wednesday, the adoption agency, my wife and I, we've been trying to have a baby for like 10 years. Um, adoption agency called us and said, hey, we have a baby who's going to be born at the end of June. Um, the mother has chosen you. Are you interested? And we're like, yes, we are. I have no idea how this is going to work because I'm supposed to deploy before Caleb, this baby, is born. Um, and, and then the following day, um, got a phone call from the program director of the residency and said, the Navy just decided to, to um, increase the, the residency slots by one and we'd like you to be the guy who goes straight through. They had found another person who met the requirements to go with the Marine Corps unit. And so I got to go straight through residency. Um, my first son was born on the day that I graduated internship um, and then finished residency. From residency, first duty station was Sasebo, Japan. So this is right by Nagasaki. You might notice a trend there. It's not on accident that you know naval bases and Marine Corps bases were, were located right near where the nuclear bombs had uh, been dropped. It was kind of for monitoring long-term late effects of those things. So, um, but went to Nagasaki or went to Sasebo, excuse me, and. Uh, um, my wife and I, we had actually gotten pregnant after adopting our first son, um, you know, magically, like I think happens in so many. Um, we actually got pregnant, um, traveled just before we were um, having, just before we would have had travel restrictions. And, uh, um, and so our second son was gonna be born in Japan. And he was um, just a few weeks later. Unfortunately, um, my wife died while we were there. Um, just a few hours after um, Joshua was born. Um, it's a long story, but, um, but ultimately um, they moved us back to the United States. And so then I worked at an air station in um, Lemoore, California, which is kind of in the Central Valley. 
Um, we used to joke that there were cows, corn, and cotton, and that was just on base. Um, but it's middle of the San Joaquin Valley, so um, huge agricultural area. It's a great place to crash an airplane if you're learning how to fly. And that's very good. Um, so, um, was there dealing with you know my wife having just died and having a two-year-old and a newborn, um, and uh, um, at that point I was just about to get out of the Navy because kids were struggling. Frankly, I was struggling, and uh, um, but. Dr. Nichols, my mentor, he, at that point, he was the senior family practice doctor in the Navy, really wanted me to stay in. So he found a job here in San Antonio um, that I could take and still be a full-time dad and a full-time um, you know, Navy physician. Um, and that was teaching at the military's physician assistant school. I like teaching. I'd done it many times over my career. So um, that worked out really well. But we came to San Antonio in 2007, and uh, I taught at the... <laughs> PA school for quite a few years, probably six years. Um, now, when, when we decided to have me go to San Antonio, the long-term plan was teach at the PA school for as long as you can, then be the medical director at TRICARE Pharmacy for as long as you can, which is also here in San Antonio, and then retire. Um, and at that point, I would have been retirement eligible. So um, started teaching at the PA school. Turns out that the, uh, the guy before me at the pharmacy kind of got fired and so I filled both jobs for a while um, I was good at it I liked it um, and so then after a time I ended up just working at TRICARE Pharmacy and uh, um, and then ultimately um, got remarried and uh, um, got orders to go down to Corpus Christi so I um, was a full-time family practice doctor down at Corpus Christi, helped write a bunch of guidelines for um, the VA and the DOD while I was there. And, uh, um, and then towards the end of that or that uh, assignment, they asked me if I'd go to Guantanamo Bay. So I went to Guantanamo Bay and I was the senior medical officer at the uh, um, joint medical group, which is the, the group of folks who takes care of the detainees there. So as I, tell folks here, and I think probably many of you have heard me say I was the personal physician to terrorists. Um, and I was, and it was a great job. I loved it. Um, but did that for nine months, which is the standard rotation there, and then came back here to San Antonio and got to lead what we call Navy medical modeling and simulation training, which is essentially um, modernizing medical training for the 65,000 people in Navy medicine. So I did that for three years and then the Navy asked me to uh, go and essentially lead the uh, disability evaluation system in Washington, D.C. I told them I don't want my kids to grow up in Washington, D.C. They said, it's your only choice. I said, you've clearly forgotten I can retire. And uh, um, they said, it's your only choice. And I said, thank you, I'll retire. Um, so in, uh, was that 2020? So towards the you know, end of the first year of COVID, I retired. Um, from there, um, family stayed here in San Antonio, but for about a year I went to California and uh, took care of all ages and stages of life at a community clinic up in the Sequoia National Park. Because I, I had a California license, but I didn't have a Texas license and I hadn't seen patients every day. And Texas requires that you see patients every day or at least 2,000 hours out of the last two years. I didn't want to lie like I think a lot of uh, 
military senior um, physicians do because the reality is we all push paper. Um, and uh, so I went and I saw patients for 2000 hours. And uh, as soon as I hit the 2000 hour mark, Texas gave me my license and I came back here. Um, but then I worked for a, um, a faith-based organization that um, just takes care of seniors. Um, it's a great company. I loved it um, and love taking care of um, seniors, but kind of needed something that allowed me to spend more time with the family. And so uh, um, I became aware of this, you know, in-house physician they were looking for at BioBridge Global. And there's a, a medical clinic that's going to support that. Um, it was a perfect fit. This is like going back to squadron medicine where you take care of a, a few hundred people, you get to know them really well, you you know, very much focus on wellness and, and optimizing health. Um, and, uh, um, and so I was excited to, to take the job with Direct Med Clinic, which, you know, of course, puts me here at, at BioBridge. And, and I'm really uh, thankful for the opportunity and excited to, to take care of the folks here. We're glad to have you here, honestly. This is... You know, and when we first they first told us about this this little setup, I went and looked, and there's not many organizations this size with an on-site clinic. No fooling. I mean, usually it's it's companies of, of five and ten thousand and more before before they'll do that. Well, this is another just another reason we find this a pretty remarkable place to work. <laughs> I think so too. Have you have you sort of found the people? I mean, you've probably seen a lot of people already. Um seeing pretty steady um you know my my definition of busy is different than than maybe the biobridge definition of busy so i'm i'm not gonna not gonna suggest to you that i'm overworked but i'm i'm getting to meet people i'm seeing people um you know kind of on a on a schedule where we can actually make a difference in their life i'm really excited that right now we're kicking off what we call a weight loss journey where we're using one of the best medicines on the market to help people lose weight in addition to diet and exercise and all the support that surrounds that. Um, I'm looking forward to making more of those wellness programs, things that'll um, make you know each employees or those employees who have a particular concern make their life better, help them live longer, help them live better. Um, and so yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting to know folks and, and I hope making a big difference in their life. Well, I think you are already. We appreciate you. Thanks. Executive producers of the Hearts of Fire podcast are Adrian Mendoza and Jay Pajinski. Our director is Angelica Sandoval, with technical assistance from Matthew Flores. The Hearts of Fire logo was designed by Roberto Esquivel. If you'd like to be on the Hearts of Fire podcast, if you have an idea, a suggestion, if you'd like to get rid of this East Texas twang once and for all and be the host of Hearts of Fire, email us, Hearts of Fire at biobridgeglobal.org. Thanks for listening.